Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Support the podcast on Patreon by joining the It's All Cobblers To Me fan club. Every month, you'll receive access to exclusive bonus content, such as our Meet the Staff series, hear our player interviews before anyone else, and be invited to regular meetups. By joining the fan club, you'll be helping us to continue our sponsorship of NTFC women's player Abby Bruin and enable us to keep the podcast and all our other content going to the high standards you expect. To join the fan club, go to patreon.com forward slash cobblers to me. Hello and Merry Christmas from the team here at It's All Cobblers to Me. It's been a really, really great year for us and we're hoping that 2020 will be even better. So, while we get into gear, um, we're taking a couple of weeks break. It is Christmas after all, and that means we wanted to have, you know, a bit of time with our families, uh, some drinks, and not have to worry about, you know, sitting down and recording a podcast to talk about, what is it, about four or five games that the Cobblers have to play over this Christmas period. I'm sure you're all going to enjoy those games, and and the Cobblers will probably come out with a decent points haul, we reckon. So instead, what we've decided to bring to you are um, a couple of our older episodes. Now, don't worry, we're not going to be talking about games that have happened and long since gone that nobody can remember. No, we're going to bring you a couple of the interviews that we've had on the podcast feed over the last 18 months or so. So we're starting off with an interview that I did... Oh, about a year ago now with somebody who was one of my favourite players when I was a bit younger, Chris Hargreaves. Now, Chris talks about that night at Mansfield, how he came to Sixfields and became a Northampton Town player. And he also gives us a little bit more insight into what it was like playing for the Cobblers during those years that he was with us. So sit back, relax and listen to the dulcet tones of the once long-haired masterpiece that is Chris Hargreaves. Have a very, very Merry Christmas. We'll have another episode out next week, uh, just before New Year. So I hope you enjoy this. And of course, up the cobblers. We'll see you in 2020. Brain again, and he's got it! Gavin was closing in. Oh, Gavin has scored! Abdul Osman against Brad Jones to put Liverpool out of the cup and not that to three! Hello and welcome to the first edition of the It's All Cobblers to Me Hall of Fame with me, Charles Commons. Today we hear from a man who made 151 appearances in Cobblers Colours, scoring six goals and had hair that John Joe O'Toole would be proud of. I am, of course, referring to Chris Hargreaves, who joined Northampton Town in the summer of 2000. I'd spoken to a few clubs, and I think the club had turned down a fair bit of money from from a couple of clubs, and something fell through on deadline day. So it was it was a tricky time because I loved playing for Plymouth. I really enjoyed it down there, and we had uh, you know 
two children down there. It was one of those situations where Northampton made an approach, and my contract was up, um, and the club had just been promoted. You know, I knew the players that were that were rumoured to be going there, and I thought, wow, what an opportunity! So I couldn't turn it down really. And after seeing Kevin, who at the time Kevin Wilson, the manager, um, really liked the guy and just got a great feel for the club. So um, I was delighted to sign, to be honest. So what did you actually think of the, the squad that day that you met them then? Did did your expectations, were they met? Or, or... But it's funny because the first day, it's, uh, it, it's even back then, the first day was running, which you often wouldn't get now at a pro club. It's all about high-intensity sessions and ball work. But we were... We were straight down to I think it was Abington Park. We went to the first uh, the first day mm. and just running along with the lads and finding out how happy we were with, with just being promoted. And obviously, I got on with Jamie and Marco straight away. Good guys, uh, still keep in touch with them now. Um, so it was very easy actually. It was it was it was an exciting time with um, with the squad, and we started okay just. I don't know, just didn't really happen for us that season for, for whatever reason. I just think that maybe it's some players adjusting to it. Maybe sometimes squads don't gel as well as they should. I don't know. And a couple of us had operations that, that season which didn't help. So it was, um, yeah, I'd say a quite a difficult year, really. In, in your book, um, you said actually that you hadn't yet visited marco's hotel in york have you have you been there yet <laughs> oh he's told me a lot about it god almighty i mean dear oh dear well we, we, do you know what it's it's one of those uh, uh we were we were talking about it all the time and i'd be saying any danger of an invitation but then he uh he decided to to sort of shift over a little bit from his um hotelier lifestyle to, to become an agent so he was phoning me about players then uh, quite, quite, quite regularly, trying to get players in to be seen and, and this, that, and the other. So, yeah, I know how tight he is, though, Mark. Although he's got, you know, hundreds of thousands in the bank, he's very, very, very tight. So uh, the invitation is still, I'm still waiting for it. Put it that way. I think we've gone through six managers now since Chris Wilder left, or maybe it's five. Yeah, since Chris left. Um, to go to Sheffield United. But actually, you went through a fair few yourself at, at Northampton as well. I think, yeah, definitely. I think maybe five, six. Yeah, I mean, I've got it down that it was at least five, I think. But oh, yeah. that is over a four-year period. So it is a, it is better than the current two-year period that we're in with, with six. But Well, there was, there was, yeah, obviously Kev first and then Kev Broadhurst, mm-hmm. uh, Martin Wilkinson, Terry Fennick. Uh, Colin, uh, is that is that? Is there any more? I'm, I'm wondering whether to count Richard Hill because Richard Hill would have been a caretaker oh, yeah. for a little Hill, bit, yeah. wouldn't he? Yeah, so six or seven, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's too many, isn't it? I, I mean, one of his former clubs, Hilly. Look at Eastley. I think they had four managers in ten and a half months. Absolute madness. Absolute madness. Um, but yeah, it was it was too many. But the club were hungry for success, weren't they? They wanted to you know, really go to a different level. But unfortunately, it didn't really happen. Well, I really, really loved my time at the club. I really did. Well, you were probably the, the first sort of real fans' favourite that I kind of remember. Um, now, I remember when... So when your first initial two-year contract was up and there was a lot of, um, well, speculation in the media and that yeah. speculation is obviously true according to what you've written in your book already is that, you know, you were offered a pay cut to stay. Um, and I remember actually being really gutted thinking you, you're going and, and you were kind yeah. of like for me, seen as the talisman of our team. And I I remember my dad sort of sitting down and saying to me, and it was the first time that I kind of realised, I, I think, that not even though you're a professional footballer, not every professional footballer is a Premier League standard player in terms of finances. And that no. essentially you were just living to your means. So you had, you know, you had a mortgage to pay, you know, yeah. whatever else you you had uh, loan-wise. Yeah. yeah, exactly the same as anybody else would have. And then your boss turns around and says, 
I, I want to pay you 25% less than what you had. It, it must have been a really difficult decision to actually end up staying. D- do you actually regret that, ending up staying? Do you th- I, I... No, not, not one bit. I don't regret staying one, one bit. I, there was a couple of clubs in higher divisions that, that had made contact. Um, but it was never in question. I think once a club's ingrained into your psyche, you, you don't want to leave. And yes, now we're we're in an age of proper mercenaries in football. I do believe that. I think they don't really care about the badge. They're not bothered, mm. which that's just the way it is. Whether it's a society thing, I don't know. But I loved the club. And it's, it sounds a bit melodramatic, but I did. I felt a real part of it. I wanted to do well for the club. Um, and it wasn't that hard a decision. It was It was annoying because... Sometimes a manager says to you, okay, we're offering you a contract, it's 25% less, when really they should say, I'm offering you a contract, I don't really want you to sign it, but the fans quite like you, so, you know, what do you want to do? And maybe it was that, I don't know. Um, But irrelevant. Now, I did sign it, and um, I've got no regrets. I think that the, the worst part was the actual second offer when the the next two years had uh, ended, um, yeah. and that was that was a bigger wrench, obviously. I mean, when you when you did sign that that initial extension, um, yeah, it was it wasn't long before actually. I, I suppose you would have found out why you'd been offered less money. The the club was up for sale. Yep. Save our season campaign kicked off by the fans, um, mm-hmm. and and then. In came the Cardozas and, and Andrew Ellis at the time um, to basically pick the club off the floor and to, and to keep it going. Um, yeah. at, at that point, Kevin Broadhurst then gets sacked um, uh-huh. and Terry Fennick comes in. Now, we, I spoke to Lee Harper on the podcast a few weeks ago and yeah. he said that he couldn't really tell me much about what happened with Terry Fennick in charge because he was injured at the time. Um I know you had an injury as well around about that time, but is there anything that you can sort of tell me about why maybe well, he only lasted seven games? I mean, he was very, very unfortunate, I have to say. But I was the same as Harps. We were both injured, which was annoying for, for, for Terry because he, he got me into the office, I think, in the first couple of days and said, look, I want to know what's going wrong with the club, etc. What What do we need to get better at? Um, I, you know, I couldn't help him at that time. I was, I was injured and... Had he been able to limp on a pitch, I would have I would have done all I could. But he um, he was very committed to do it, and the first you know few weeks were, were of, of the training sessions were really intense. I remember the first day he came in, the pitch was frosted over, and he had the lad straight on there, eleven v eleven, um, you know, deal with it, <laughs> you know, a bit old school in that aspect. But just too many draws, not enough wins, and again, he, I don't know. What had gone on off the field, I'm not sure, but it it seemed harsh at the time. Um, but the the Cardozers, you know, I got on really well with them, and they again they wanted success, didn't they? They wanted um, they wanted a manager to, to 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 get the club, you know, flying really. And unfortunately, it didn't really happen for Terry. So at that point, they then. I think it was Martin Wilkinson goes in, and he was actually the chief scout at the time. He was. Did Did you think that was odd yourself that the chief scout was becoming the manager, even though it was supposedly only on an interim basis? Well, I mean, I I didn't go on the uh, the tour that they went on to America. I think they won a couple of preseason games. We're all drinking champagne. I thought they won the league. I think you've got to be careful you don't get too carried away too early. Um, but Martin brought a few lads in on loan and didn't quite work and I ended up back in the team. So, um, again, another 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 very short tenure early, wasn't it, with Martin? It, it's one that I think because he was a nice guy and people got on with him that it, it was a natural progression perhaps for, for him to be manager. But it's a, it's a tough job. I've, I've I've sat in that hot seat, and it's it's not easy. I think if you have money, you've got half a chance, and if you've got a training facility, you've got half a chance. But if you've got 
neither of those two, you are doomed. Um, and Martin did have both. So for sure, we should have done a little bit better, shouldn't we? Yeah, I, I think that's that's a fair call. I mean, in that season when, when Martin actually did become the manager full-time, he he signed the likes of, um, you know, Martin Smith came in, Paul Reed came in, all, yeah. all on big money or comparative yeah. to what we'd been used to sort of seeing us spend, I suppose. And, yeah. and you know, pre-season for, for the fans, it was all, we're going to win this league. We've got brilliant players all of a sudden. There's no way that this can go wrong. And then the first game of the season, I think, did we, did we lose 1 0 to Torquay at home or was it a draw? Um, uh, but it was. Yeah, a, I think we, yeah, I think we did. I think, it, but it was a bit of a damp squib, uh, regardless. Was. And the one thing that I can remember is that we, we, we seem to be playing it a lot across the back four and then not really doing anything and going any further. And it was a very disappointing season in the end. Yeah, it was. I know, I mean, the first, just looking through the, the seasons I was there, the first season we were, we had a really good spell and then we just tailed off and it was a sort of, I don't know, non-event of a season really. Second season obviously was um, survival. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was the last game, wasn't it? Last couple of games. And then that season was supposed to be, as you say, it was supposed to be the one. We The budget was big. I'm, I'm guessing it was it was very competitive in the league. Um, but again, it probably just too much inconsistency of, um, of of play. What 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 are we are we are we uh, going long? Are we are we possession based or a bit of both? Mm. Um, I, I think there probably wasn't. Or if there was the picture, the players weren't taking it on board. Let's say that those players. I'm not one to blame managers because I know how hard it is. You've got to look at yourself as a player. Um, and on that front, it wasn't good enough, was it? I think it's fair to say, I mean, especially when you look at what, what's happened recently with the club, as we were saying before, personal opinion and, and a fair few fans' opinion was that Dean Austin was a, a really passionate guy and, and, and had good, solid ideas as to where to take the club um, forward. And then a lot of the time, the fans were actually saying it's the players that need to look at themselves here in this situation. It's it's not so much Dean Austin as the manager. It's it's the players themselves. They're just not doing necessarily what they're being sent out onto the pitch to do. Um, so it is a tough job. I can see that. And and I, I think that that is uh, one of the things that I, we were discussing on the podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, between us was that um, at the start of the season, during pre-season, um, a lot of the players were coming out and saying we are going to get promoted this season. I think Leon Barnett actually said we were going to win the league. Um, that was the intention of the club. And then, of course, to start off the season without a win and, and, and doing fairly poorly, we've had one win all in the league all season, that that then you've got an expectation that just isn't being met. And I, yeah. I th- that that's when it kind of then becomes difficult. Dean Austin himself had said, we'll hammer someone soon, and it just never came. Yeah, I know, I know, it's difficult. It's, I mean, I, I think Dean said to a few people since, he, he didn't necessarily know the league, you know, inside out, which can be problematic because you might be getting players in that uh, have played at a higher level or a lower level that, that, that don't know it, and, and maybe even you're trying to ask players to do something they can't do in some instances, or the mm. whole team can't do it. Uh, it's very, very unusual now that you get a three-year plan and you can carry it through no matter what as a manager, isn't it? Let's be honest. You get a three-month plan, win games as quick as you can. Yeah, That's what you need to do. And you, feel, you need to find a way out to win quick. I've been on every course known to man in football and they can't help you when you're in the hot seat. You need to win games. You've got to find a way, whether that's going long, whether that's playing dynamic through the thirds football being expansive whatever it may be you just got to win um, and you have to have leaders in that team don't you and the teams that I've been in that have done well have had that spine of leaders Chrissy Wilder when the team went up they had a, they had a spine of leaders um, and I suppose the year that we lost out narrowly in the playoffs we had a team of leaders and a spine and that's what Dean didn't have, ultimately. Or if he did have it, they weren't standing up, were they? No, no. I, I think that's summed it up pretty much 
you know pretty well i think chris to be honest with you it's uh it's definitely what every single uh, fan that's seen a game this season would would be the first thing that they would say is that there's just no leadership on that pitch there might be plenty of it off it in terms of sound bites that the players give and and the actions that the players actually do themselves um you know being part of the community etc but once they step foot on the pitch on a saturday the leadership just seems to vanish and 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 disappears completely I mean, just touching on that quickly, it's hard though, isn't it, now to be a leader because we have a lot of quiet players in football, full stop. Everything is social media driven. You don't really need to interact or be social as a as a footballer, do you? you, you the old days of playing cards on a coach or I'm not advocating nightclubs because hmm. it's not the way forward for a modern athlete, but going to a nightclub and talking to people, etc., you don't need to. You need to swipe on your phone. You need to contact people. It's almost non-vocal. And that, that is society through into football, without a shadow of a doubt. I see with all the young lads I have. Fantastic players, great ability, but it feels like a silent movie sometimes. I, 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 it makes me feel nervous. I can hear my own tinnitus. It's, um, it's just the way it is. And good managers are, are trying to find those leaders in a different way now. Uh, do you think that'll ever come back to the game? There, I, I appreciate not nightclubs and, and that sort of thing, but... Is it is it just a case of now the way the society's gone? It's it's now just affecting you know footballers and and that will never change back to how it was. You'll get you'll get the, the, the ones through every every such in turn because that's the way they've been brought up. That's that's the way they are. Um, but on the whole, I think it's it's a group, definitely a group leadership now. Where I think Gareth Southgate would is a good example of it. Very mild mannered, wants to nurture gets on with all his players, gives every player time that's in or out the team. And it's a real sort of um, buzz, not, isn't it? The, the mm. mentality which, um, which, which worked well, I have to say, for him. So I think that that's what a lot of managers are doing now. Um, I mean, I've worked with Eddie and Eddie's really good at that at Bournemouth, mm. getting the, the sort of group to be the, to be the leader. Um, but it, Going back to, to Northampton, that's that's what we had the season. We we should have done it, albeit for some ridiculous, ridiculous officials. Did you know that 32 million people listen to podcasts monthly? That's an awful lot of people that could be hearing about your business. Podcasts such as this one reach a dedicated audience each week, and according to Edison Research, 65% of listeners are likely to buy a product after hearing an advert in a podcast. We are currently looking for sponsors in order to bring you more content and more guest appearances. So this 45 second space could be all about you and it's a lot cheaper than you might think. If you're interested in finding out how advertising on It's All Cobblers to Me could help promote your business, please get in touch by emailing itsallcobblers at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Well, let's talk about that game then, seeing as you've brought it up. Uh, so Mansfield away in the playoff semi-final. We'd lost two 0 at home. The week. Yeah, awful. Didn't turn up, did we? It was a bad game, bad result, and um, it was all up against us, wasn't it? At that point. Yeah, but you must have known that you were capable of beating them because last game of the actual proper season, we went to Mansfield and we won. So well, you we must have known we can still sure. we can still win. Well, I honestly I remember this very clearly. I, I got onto the coach at Sixfields. And I said to the boys, we're going to win tonight. We're going to do it. That's the first thing I said when I, when I got on and I meant it. And, and I, I felt it. But, as luck would have it, I mean, obviously we did win. But uh, for some reason, uh, the, the, the powers to be decided to do the away goals uh, fast. Uh, and obviously, the, the, the decision for the, uh, the free kick that led to the that their goal was mm. well it was it was shocking it was the other way it was so far the other way it was actually criminal and everyone I think with the furore of it have got confused and I knew as soon as that ball was put down it was it was trouble with with the referees then on the pitch I mean what I know it's it's really easy at the time for fans especially just to just to shout the verbals at the referee you've got it wrong in last night's game as an example, yeah, uh, John Joe O'Toole um, 
we just we just conceded the goal to Oxford, and from the kickoff, it was a very lazy kickoff, and didn't the ball got came back to John Joe at all, and he was immediately surrounded by two or three Oxford players, um, and he went to ground. Now that sparked a melee, um, which three of our players got booked, and one of Oxford's did as well. Now. All the players weren't happy about it. You could kind of see John Joe at all sort of trying to run away and hide hide from the referee at the time. I was watching it thinking, we're getting a red card here. He's, he's reacted to something and it didn't look pretty. But at half time, the club actually tweeted a couple of pictures, not meaning to, um, to sort of suggest that this is what happened. It was just a, a regular thing that they do is action from the first half from the game. Now, one of the pictures was John Joe on the floor getting a boot seemingly straight in the knackers. So immediately I thought, well, I don't blame him for reacting there. But I mean, and I know how difficult a referee's job must be, but is there no reasoning with them whatsoever? Is it just no, a simple no, case of... It's done, it's done, isn't it? It's like getting a parking fine. Once he's, once he's hovering over you, it's game over. Once that, once that bit of biro is on that piece of paper and the sound sensor, you, you're done for. And it's the same with the referee. I mean, I, I'm all for the respect campaign as a captain of, of clubs. I, I welcomed it, going mm. in to see the ref and having a bit of a laugh with him. You got to know him a bit and, and you gave him a bit more slack on the pitch. But that's why we've got VAR, isn't it? Because you can't guarantee it's human error. And on that night, it was really bad human error because there's people's contracts, livelihoods, there's people at the club that want to keep the jobs. All that's at stake. And it's it, it's true because it, we're not getting carried away. It's a fact, you know. If you make a bad decision in a factory and and, and the line goes down and the the, the factory loses hundred grand, people will lose the jobs. And it's the same. I liken it to the same that night. He made a bad. Now some people would say, well, you should defend the free kick. Well, yeah, but it, it shouldn't be a free kick in the first place if you do your job properly. Um, and it stops you going to Wembley and it stops the possibility of promotion and remaining at a club, etc., etc. So that's why I'm still annoyed, as you can tell. <laughs> I don't blame I mean, the next time that you came up against Phil Crossley as the referee, did, did you have anything to say to him about it or did you just think, I'll keep quiet and try and keep him on our side? No, I just kept trying to volley the ball at him, I think. Every time I bought, all the lads thought my passing was awful that day because I just tried to take him out every time I got the ball. No, I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. Aside. Obviously, he makes mistakes. He, you know, that's the he's a human being. Um, and there was a gentle reminder in, you know, no profanity, etc. But <laughs> what can you do? He's gone. What can you do? I have to say, though, on the night when, you know, when we scored the first and then it was my last game and my last goal for Northampton. And when I scored a header in front of those magnificent Cobblers fans, what a moment. Um, but seeing your, your family and uh, children in the, in the crowd after the game and knowing what, what could have been very, very emotional. One of the things that I found most interesting about uh, rereading your book again, especially the parts about uh, where you were with us at Northampton, the, yeah. the fact that you, you you did move to Northamptonshire, you weren't far away from from Northampton at all, just down the road in Mears Ashby. I mean, I, a lot of the time now you, you're talking about players living in hotels for a week while they're doing training rather than moving down. Now, I'm not suggesting that every single player should therefore go and, uh, you know, sell a house that they've got in, say, Rochdale and then move all the way down to Exeter when they when they make that sort of move. But it, it, it kind of seemed like looking back at the time when, when you were with us in the early 2000s that, that maybe more players were, you know, happy to actually move rather than... You've definitely nailed it there. It's true. It's so true. Whenever I've been in teams that have done well, I remember we were all, I mean, I was a, I was a local lad. I was a Grimsby lad, but everyone had to move down because at the end of the earth, when you're going on that M180 towards Grimsby, I think you, you think you're heading towards Chernobyl when you see the Humber Bank. It, it's frightening. Uh, it's the road to nowhere. And that works in two ways. One is no one can get away. So you can't, you can't flit off anywhere. And back then, no one had any money. So that camaraderie and that that team uh, that teamwork and and, and uh, togetherness it worked because we got two promotions. 
and that that's the same when I moved to Torquay and we, we got promoted. Everyone had to move. They wanted to move down. They wanted to, 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 to live in the area. And it's the same with Northampton. When I was there, the, the people really wanted to do it, moved there. Now, you might say that, that, that financially they're able to, and that's why a lot of players can't do it. Mm. Uh, but we're not talking about, you know, Richmond, are we? We're talking about Northampton. It's 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 not London prices. It's 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 affordable, and that's the frustration as a manager. You want everyone to buy into the area and the people and the the, the, the culture of the place. I think that's when you, you get the sort of I don't know relationship maybe with the fans that I had there, because you feel like you feel like you, you know one of the club, don't you? Yeah, I, I think that's that that's one of the big things. I mean, where I live now in Warrington. It's not a big football town. It's a it's a rugby league town, um, and but I'm always seeing at least three or four of the players out and around. They might just be in the town centre at Acosta, or you know, doing some shopping with their wives or the girlfriends. But they're out and about, and they and they do stop and they do talk to the fans. If anyone walks up to them and says, "Would you mind just having a chat for a minute?" They've always got time for them. And I'm not suggesting that every single time you're out with your kids or your, your wife or your girlfriend that you should stop and you know and, and talk to a fan about the previous Saturday's game but it's nice to see it when it happens I do a little article down here in for the Western Morning News of just a you know about football or it might be about DIY and <laughs> what have your you know swine flu whatever it may be I, I just go off on tangents sometimes but I think in the main when I talk about footballers some are there's no doubt about it. There is a headphone uh, mentality. And in some instances, you, some of the lads are big time. There's no doubt about it. That, that, that They've got a bit of money in the pocket. They've got a flash car, a pair of headphones on, and they think they're 50 cent. Now, that, that, you can't get away from that. It's, it's a fact. But the majority, the majority don't know what to say. They're probably not. They're probably a little bit nervous. They might have had a stinker on a Saturday. I mean, I had plenty, but I still prepared <laughs> to talk to people and say I did have a stinker. I think that's that's the that's where the uh, the the clarity's lost a little, little bit with with fans. I think they sometimes think that players are aloof, but I think sometimes the players are just embarrassed because they they don't know how to strike up a conversation or what to say, especially if it's not going so well. Yeah, I think that's a fair point to make. I mean, I, I quite often sort of, I, I don't know, if I if I saw someone that I would deem as being uh, maybe not famous, but well-known, um, someone like, uh, you know, a, a Northampton player just out, out and about, then, yeah. then part of me would sort of be going, uh, what what would I say? Just just yeah. say hi. I mean, but it, but it must work both ways in that case. And that's what I've kind of sort of have to remember at times is that I also think to myself well would I want to be disturbed if I was just out having a coffee well I mean personally I loved it I, I couldn't get enough of it I, yes sometimes people would say how are you doing and I'd say okay and they said you're a rubbish Saturday and I'd say I'd just laugh and say yeah you're spot on but I won't be next Saturday I think you have to have that approach you, you have to God knows what it's like for for the likes of you know Beckham when he, it's constant um but I think for, for lads that play for local clubs, they should absolutely lap it up and enjoy it because it's soon over. And then, you know, you, you, you might not be that in demand or you, you definitely look back and think, wow, that was, that was such a brilliant time. What a, what, a, what a time to be a professional footballer. And that's what I reminded myself towards the sort of last five or six years of my career to say, wow, this is unbelievable. I mean, paid to be a footballer. Yes, it's not millions, but it's probably above average and you're doing a job that everyone would love to do. Hello, Charles here. It's All Cobblers to Me is a weekly podcast all about Northampton Town Football Club. New episodes are released every Friday and along with my co-hosts Danny and Neil, we take a look at how the Cobblers are performing, attempt to find the mysterious Alistair Slow and play everyone's favourite game, Name That Bench. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and all other podcast providers with new episodes each and every Friday.
I'm Chris Hargreaves, and it's all cobblers to me. One of the other games that you obviously featured in um, was against Manchester United in the fourth round of the FA Cup. I can't um, remember it. <laughs> well, I, I, no, the... I can't, can't. I don't think I played that day. Are you? Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. We had a good cup run, didn't we? It was. Uh, yeah, we had a really good cup run, and there were all the paraphernalia then came of that United yeah. game, which was interesting. The the one question that I was going well, I've got two. I've got one that's a silly question, and and one that I do actually I do actually mean. And yeah. we'll go with that one first, which is on. if you could have won one of those two matches, so either United game or the Mansfield playoff game, which would you have preferred to have won? Mansfield. Not for the glory it's... of of United, then. Yeah, but it is what because the the, the United game, yeah, it would have been good. No doubt about it, but I think that the the me personally, it would have changed my life to have gone up to Wembley and um, been promoted. I think I'd have stayed at the club, and something you look back on it's a promotion at a football club. It's it's something huge. Beating Man U in a cup run, fantastic, no doubt about it. Um, they would both have been superb, but I'd just ed- edged towards. The Mansfield game, I know that's probably against what a lot of people would say. Uh, we did okay in the first half. I think we did okay against United. We were quite confident that day that we'd do something, to be honest. Um, but then it went a little bit pear-shaped second half, didn't it? Yeah, but you know, you are, you are playing United, and 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 that will potentially happen. You can't you can't always expect to, you know, make sure that you actually go out there and, and, and perform the whole ninety minutes necessarily. Um as much as you'd like to, obviously. The the silly question that I've got, Chris, is that Go on. In your hundred and fifty one games for the Cobblers, you scored yeah. six goals. Yeah. Would you like to claim that own goal against United to make it seven? No, it's it's uh it's it's gone. I've, I've, I've banished it from the Hardware's memory bank. It's gone. It's history. Yeah, and to be fair though, if I if I hadn't put it in, Diego Forlan would have missed anyway, wouldn't he? Let's be honest. So um, it's a good job I did. But <laughs> it was just one of those unfortunate moments that uh, that happens sometimes. But that, that's life. That's life. Was Brown Owenis on goal, and that's the last thing you need when you're up against Manchester United. Well, they've had chance after chance, but I've scored two of the scruffiest goals you're likely to see Manchester United. Hardgraves is the one at the back post who just almost stumbles over it, Martin. There's a little inch that drops here. He's trying his best to keep it out. He knows Forland's behind him, I think, because he's the one he's trying to mark there. And I think he knows Forland's behind him. He tries to just stretch the leg out and divert it somewhere safe, but when you're that close to goal, and you're stretching that far out. You've got no control. You had no control. It's a terrible, terrible start to the second half for Northampton. Yeah, I, I think that game is it's one where we, we were just disappointed because we I think we, we, we expected to win. I know it sounds crazy, but we did. We expected to do better than we, we, we did that day. Um, and perhaps we just, I don't know, didn't really, probably didn't get that, that goal that would have changed it. You know, that, that first goal that would mm-hmm. have changed it completely. If you get the first goal, then you really, really believe it. But once United scored and they get that possession dominance, then it, it really does change it. You, you're sort of chasing shadows a little bit. But it was good for, I mean, I'm not a big one to, to buy into all this you know, having a picture and a selfie with someone who's, you know, playing for Man United and asking for the shirt and all that business. They are who they are. They're all just normal lads. And um, that was it for me. Game over. On to the next. Did you take a shirt from anybody at the end of that game or were you really not bothered? No, I wasn't bothered. I mean, we played Barcelona, we played Real Madrid, sorry, when I was at Bournemouth in a pre-season game, I think. Hmm. Max Denham had paid a lot of money to to um, to play them, and it was surreal because you, you know you're suddenly in the offices. Myself, Eddie, uh, Jason, Ancelotti, Ronaldo's walks in Zidane. <laughs> you know they're they're that 
that's, I suppose, when you get a little bit starstruck and you're thinking, wow, this is incredible. I didn't even ask for an autograph, didn't ask for anything. And as I was walking out of the club, one of the staff uh, stopped me because we'd been talking about family and children and bits and bobs. And he, he passed me a programme and he just jumped on the uh, Real Madrid coach and got everybody's <laughs> autograph and said, give that to your son. That's lovely, that. that, that, that Not bad, is it? Yeah, that's Not great. From the Galacticos, from people that didn't need to do it. So that, that just shows you what the humility of some people that get to the very top is still pretty impressive. So what was your what was your favourite memory of playing for the Cobblers then, Chris? Have you got one? Yeah, so scoring a couple against Wickham when we when we everyone expected us to to, to go down that was a big moment. Um, and obviously, the the playoffs, although they were they were sad in the fact that we didn't achieve what we thought we could or perhaps should have done, it was still a moment that I'll never forget. Um, you know, I still, I'm not allowed any football uh, paraphernalia on the walls or you'd think I've been a builder my whole life in this house. There's not, hmm. nothing to say I'd ever been a footballer with Mrs. Hargreaves around. But in a loft somewhere in a box, there's a picture of, uh, and Pete, Pete Norton did me a, a sort of three-shot moment <laughs> of scoring the header against, against Mansfield. And it was just, brings back some brilliant memories. Bittersweet, but still, you know, fantastic night and I, I loved every minute of playing for the club I must admit so so far too many managers and probably far too many players come and go but the one thing that remained consistent was the affinity I had with the fans whether I played really well or had an absolute nightmare I think there was a respect there because I wanted to give everything for, for, for someone that was paying you know 15 or 20 quid to, to come and watch the team. So you, you then go on, finish your career um, playing for, well, I, I think it was Oxford in the end. Was that your last club? Did you go back there? Yeah, was that right was for a, two spells? Went to, well, yeah, the night, the, the, the day after we uh, we lost in the playoffs, um, Colin, I mean, Colin, God bless him, he, he promised me a contract and he, he didn't deliver and he did apologise later when I'd signed for, I can't remember what club I'd signed for after that, but that's life as a manager. I, I, think, I don't think John Dean really rated me and so when they did offer me a contract, it was, it was uh, I think looking back, it was, it was less than half uh, the contract that I was on. So I don't know what I was on then, I can't remember, but it was, it was yeah, it was 40% of the wage I was on. And John offered me that because he knew I couldn't sign it financially. It was, you just can't do it, can you? So uh, I ended up signing for Brentford. And um, we had a good season, getting third or fourth in League One. So it was was a good move for me. But I was doing the thing we talked about previously. I was driving every day, which Mm. absolutely killed me. I was driving to, uh, you know, to Brentford from, from Northampton. And it was an absolute killer. Uh, I, th- I definitely attribute that to having a double hernia and groin repair just before. Uh, I, in fact, I came back just before the playoffs at Chef Wednesday away, but I was like the tin man in that game. I just couldn't move because I, I think my rehab would have been a, a sort of two weeks, uh, you know, hop one way and you fit. Um, so, a pretty uh, roller coaster last few years as a pro for me. So when when you when you did actually hang up your boots, you you then did become a manager, managed Torquay for a while. Um, yeah. What did you prefer doing, playing or or being a manager? Oh, playing without a shadow of a doubt, playing, no doubt about it. I mean, I'd, I'd worked hard. I was captain of Torquay and Oxford towards the end of my career in, in the national league or the conference back then, mm-hmm. and I was doing all my coaching. I was still I was coaching on a cold astroturf on a Tuesday night and. A, Thursday night and driving a minibus on a Sunday after playing on a Saturday, which you have to do sometimes. I did that for four years for Exeter, even though I was captain of Torquay, um, to get good coaching roles. And I felt I was a good coach. I became first team coach at Bournemouth with Eddie. Well, when that when that job, I had two interviews in the same week, and one was Northampton, mm-hmm. and one was Torquay. And Northampton, they were deliberating and and. I don't think they really wanted to give me or felt that, that either I was right for it or I don't know. I don't know the reason. 
maybe if I'd have held out, I'd have got it. And I think we'd have had a bit more firepower and, and, and budget to go and do something. But I chose Torquay, maybe because it was closer, maybe because, I don't know, I was impetuous. But it, I hadn't done my due diligence. And it, I wouldn't, you can't regret everything in life, but I'd say I made a mistake and that I, I, I didn't look at what was ahead of me. I just wanted to go and take a management job because I know I could do well. But once I sat in the seat and I, I realised there was nowhere to train and that the uh, the money that I was promised, the uh, God bless her, said, no, you can't have it because she was losing too much money. What are you meant to do? Yeah. And unfortunately, I couldn't change it. I couldn't change it enough, um, which was a shame because the first three games, I, we'd won away at Wimbledon and won away at Portsmouth and I was going to offered my resignation on the Sunday three games in and I said to my wife I'm, I'm going to write the resignation letter and, send, and offer my apologies and say I shouldn't have taken the job because I knew it wasn't right I, I knew in my core it wasn't right off the pitch and when it's not right off the pitch as you know with Northampton it always always goes wrong on it or pretty you know 95% of the time and and I look back and my gut gut feeling still was I should have done that because it had sent a message to the board and it had sent a message to the next man coming in, there's big problems. And, and unless you're going to throw a fair few thousand at it to get some players in, you're not going to change a lot because how can you change them if you can't get on a pitch? So now then, you're, is your role under-21s manager at Bristol Rovers? Or is it... Yeah, love it. Yeah, I really yeah. enjoy it. I do the uh, yeah under-21s and then at a weekend, I pretend I know what I'm talking about on BT Sport for the for the National League. So um, we, we cover, I do sort of 20, 25 games a season, um, which I thoroughly enjoy and try and spot some talent and give my opinion on, on the games, really. Do you still have aspirations to be a manager then, Chris? 100%. Not one day goes by that I don't think about what I'll do when I next go in. It's just for my family at the moment, um, it hasn't been right. And I'm, when I do it the next time, which I will, it, I will get it right. And I'll choose the right club and the time will be right. And um, I can't wait for that. But at the moment, um, I'm loving being at Rovers. It's a brilliant club with a top manager. And there's some great lads that I work with every day. And I'm, as I say, I'm lucky to be doing it. When you had your hair cut, did you keep it at all? Did you keep the ponytail? Keep a lock? Yeah. Well, it's funny you should say that. I, I always say, to, they always say, where's your hair? And I just say, oh, I've got, still in the car, I've got a little ponytail. I just put it on for special occasions. Just clip it on at the back. No, I didn't. I didn't. I, I, uh, it's funny because, I mean, I had that for so long, didn't I? The, the, the old, uh, I looked like I was in a heavy band. Look, looking back, God knows what I was thinking, but... It, we, we moved to a, a place in Exeter and next door neighbour was a hairdresser and every day she'd be saying, you've got to get that cut, you've got to get it cut. And in the end, it was it was gone. Tarzan had left the building. One of the questions that uh, my co-host Neil wanted to know was basically, when you cut your hair, did you give it to John Joe O'Toole? Um... <laughs> oh, yeah, John Joe. Yeah. But it, it suits him, doesn't it? Do you know what I mean? He's a swashbuckling player, does well, fans' favourite. You know, I think, I don't know what John Joe would say, but when I, I was at West Brom and uh, I wasn't in the team and I was frustrated and I thought, right, what am I going to do? I've got to do something. Whether it's rebellion or you're trying to be different, I thought, right, I'm going to hammer the weights and become like the honey monster and get big and powerful and grow my hair. And I think it's it's sort of that identity. You just want, you want an identity, didn't you? Uh, but looking back, sometimes I just cringe with that... Uh, with that, uh, God, it was a shoulder, let's say shoulder length on it. <laughs> wow, crazy. Well, actually, because you probably won't have noticed, but John Joe's actually had a haircut at the start of this season or in pre-season, so he's no longer got the ponytail. Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, yeah, I did. I forget. Yeah, I did. I did. So the, I did. the one, the one thing that I, we were all worried about was whether that's it. His footballing prowess, all his powers are now gone because of the fact that they were just locked up in his hair. No, no, he'll be all right. He'll be all right. I actually once pretended to be Tarzan on. A, on I, I told someone was. I'm a nightmare for talking to people on holiday and planes and stuff. I'll just go off and, and <laughs> anyway, to cut long story short, 
I got stuck in a with with a family because our seats were 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 wrong on the plane. And I said, hey, I wasn't bothered. I just said, look, put me anywhere. I'm not bothered. I'll go in the cockpit. I'm not bothered. Mm. So I ended up with this family. And to cut a long story short, by the end of the plane uh, trip, the, the the little lad of the family thought I actually was Tarzan. So we met up with his family on holiday, and I I, I sort of created like this snake from there was an old hose pipe at this uh, this villa we were staying at. So I said, right, I said to this uh, lad that I'd met, I mean, we were now best mates at this point, I said, when you come across, I'm going to I'm gonna get this snake and I'm going to jump into the pool with it and pretend I'm getting it. Anyway, <laughs> I did it, but this, this young lad was traumatised. He was seeing this big weirdo with long hair jump into a pool with a bit of hose pipe. Uh, I think he was traumatised, he probably still is now, but that was my last sort of... Uh, impression of Tarzan, let's say. <laughs> oh dear. One of the things that we're asking all our guests is if they can name a five-a-side team of players that they've played with at the club, so at Northampton. You can put yourself in if you want to, um, but uh, just so you know, Lee Harper did put himself in goal. Um, he did. For his, so be, feel he, more than welcome to stick yourself in midfield. That would be who, absolutely who else fine. Was it, who else was in Harps? Um, Not in mind if I wasn't in it. Uh, in his, I think, if I can remember, he went with he went with Sean Dyche at the back. Midfield was Martin Smith and Josh Lowe, and then up front he went with Scott McLeish. I think two wingers. He's got two wingers in his team. Who's his midfielder? Did he go? With, he might have gone with Ian Taylor. Yeah, he's not a bad shout. Not a bad shout. I'll go with anybody other than Hearts in goal. <laughs> I'll go for me in midfield. Yep. Marco Gabbiadini, Ian Sampson at the back. One more. I've got to go all attack. I'm going Jamie. Lovely. So that, that is that is a very attacking team then. It's, it's attack minded. We've got the five sides. It's all about goals, isn't it? That is true. Score more than the opposition. That's all we need to do. Great stuff. Um, thank you very much, Chris. Um, it's You're been welcome. an absolute pleasure. Yeah, no, pleasure's all mine. It's been brilliant. I appreciate the call. It's been great to talk about a club that I love. And um, you know, thanks a lot. Support the podcast on Patreon by joining the It's All Cobblers To Me fan club. Every month, you'll receive access to exclusive bonus content, such as our Meet the Staff series, hear our player interviews before anyone else, and be invited to regular meetups. By joining the fan club, you'll be helping us to continue our sponsorship of NTFC women's player Abby Bruin and enable us to keep the podcast and all our other content going to the high standards you expect. To join the fan club, go to patreon.com forward slash cobblers to me.